Hey, welcome to the Hamilton Hills Church Podcast. We're so glad that you decided to listen today. We have a saying in our church, life is messy, everyone is welcome, and anything is possible. So no matter where you're at in your life, we hope that this message brings you some encouragement. Enjoy. has some sort of status. Uh, many of you have social media. Uh, if you go and sign up for social media, they'll ask you what your status is. You go to the doctor. Uh, anything just about in society is always asking your status. And here's something that I want you to get over today. Some of you already have the shakes because I'm going to talk about marriage. Some of you are single. Some of you have been divorced. Some of you are dating. Uh, some of you have been married a long time. Uh, this series is not meant for me just to give my opinion and advice on different statuses. And it's not meant for you to take the status you're in and for you to absorb that. We have a church that has many, many different statuses in this church. And together, the church is not a weekend event. The church is a community that we should belong to. The people in this room should be people that you may not know or you may not want to know, but we're a part of a local body called the church, and this is a community, not a weekend event we want to attend. Let me tell you right up front, Hamilton Hills is about this, about life being messy. Anybody agree with that, that life is messy? How many of you know marriage can be messy? Can I get a witness on men? Just sit there, do not say a thing. Um, but uh, life is messy. Not only is life messy... But I believe that we can introduce you to the one that will clean up your mess, and that is Jesus Christ. So anything is possible, and everyone is welcome. So I want to say that up front to this fact is uh, we have compartmentalized our relational status to the point where we're losing it as Jesus followers because we are not taking advantage of our status. And so let me tell you today that no matter what your status is, no matter how you got to that status, God wants you to use it for his glory. Everything we do as Jesus followers, the end game should be to glorify God. If you say, I'm a Christian, I have a relationship with Jesus, I believe in Jesus, I stepped out on faith in that relationship with Jesus, then everything I do, the end game to my life is to bring glory to God. I'm afraid in America today we've sold this kind of Christianity that's just a false uh, as Christianity. And that, that, that thing is, is we, we think we're all about the blessing. Can I tell you something? You may not be blessed material-wise on this earth, but the blessing of, uh, of God is, is not that he's going to give you materialistic things. The blessings of God is the fact of his presence. You see, the presence of God. Heaven isn't the end game. The presence of God in a relationship with him is the end game. And so it's important for us to understand that everything we do in life, we as Christians should not compartmentalize it, that we should understand no matter who we're married to, no matter if we're single, no matter if we're dating, and next week parenting, we understand this, that everything that we do as Jesus followers should be to bring glory to the name of Jesus. And so today, as we think about this, I want us to look to God's Word. We've been emphasizing that a lot this year, and I'm afraid uh, uh, the longer the culture goes away from God, it seems like we water down our stance on the Word of God. 
But the word of God, the Bible says, does not return void. I believe as a pastor, the biggest thing that I can do is go to God's word and show you through his word what the relational status of marriage truly means. We've been hitting some hard verses in all three weeks. Today will be no exception to those verses that we'll be hitting today that are just taboo in society. We're going to talk about the word submission today. (gasps) Leave now. Uh, We're going to talk about all these different things when it comes to what God's word says because it is still relevant today as it was when God wrote his word. And so I believe we're losing the battle when it comes to relational status. And the the church seems to be really good at this, compartmentalizing. And, And I want us to stop at Hamilton Hills compartmentalizing our Christian life. I want you, the longer you come here, to be uncomfortable with just attending a gathering on the weekend at Hamilton Hills and understanding that church is not about a gathering on a weekend. Church is about community every day of the week, knowing that you are the church, so you don't just leave the church today. You are the church wherever you go. And the greatest impact that I can make in society, I believe, in my relational status is showing God's glory when it comes to be, be being married. So a couple days ago, do you remember, it was a significant day, especially for those of you that are dating or married, it, it's called Valentine's Day. Anybody remember that, Valentine's Day? And, and, and it's, it's a tricky day for me because uh, the next week, which is this week, Thursday, is my wedding anniversary. And so I believe Lori chose that date, so she got, you know, double things. She got stuff on Valentine's Day as well as, anybody agree with that? Come on, help me out here. Um, and it's my anniversary. And uh, this week will be our 22 years of marriage, the best 22 years of her entire life she'll be celebrating. Um, but everybody has a status here. Here's something that you need to you really understand. You can be married for 50 plus years. We have that in the room. And you can be married for one year and you can be single. You could have a failed marriage. I don't know where you stand in life. Can, can I get you to focus this way as I open God's word? Can I get you to focus no matter where you stand in your relational status, you can still bring glory to God. Everyone is important to God, and every Jesus follower should bring glory to God. So if you're in a failed marriage, I still believe you can bring glory to God. If you're in a marriage right now that you're struggling, you can still bring glory to God. If you're preparing to be married, remember, your marriage should bring glory to God. Every person, regardless of status, is important to God. And if you're a Jesus follower, your end game should be to glorify God. When we seek to glorify God, long-term happiness is a byproduct. When we seek to glorify God, long-term happiness is a byproduct. Teaching on the topic of marriage to a large and diverse group can be difficult. Married couples, especially those who are experiencing difficulty in marriage, could feel awkward today. Single people and divorced people may feel as though the message does not apply to them. You may even feel upset and, and by the reminder of marriage. Many people did not see a godly marriage modeled by their parents and may be skeptical regarding the possibility of ever living happily ever after. In fact, In fact, if you grow up in church, many of you can say that you saw your parents act one way at church and another way at home 
which really gives you doubt when it comes to your relational status. Still, it's helpful for the entire church to be reminded of God's instruction for marriage. Teaching on marriage does apply to all Christians because marriage is a picture of Christ's relationship with the church. Can I get you to view if you have a broken relationship? Can I get you to view this if you have marriage struggles? It's not all about you. It's not all about me. Say that with me. It's not all about me. Say it again. It's not all about me. You know what church has become? Church has become all about me. Church has become all about consumerism. Church has become all about me being happy. Church has become all about what is in it for me. And ladies and gentlemen, the word of God shows a different structure when it comes to the church of God. And it's not all about me when it comes to church. It's all about the kingdom of God and his expansion. You see, the church is nothing but a conduit for me to expand the kingdom. The church is not the end game. It's not the end game for us to build out this campus. It's not the end game for us to have programs. It's not the end game for this to last till eternity. It's the end game to expand the kingdom of God. And whichever way our church looks is that way it's going to be to expand the kingdom of God. And I believe that when you talk about relational status, I believe that it is helping expand the kingdom of God. And teaching on marriage does apply to all Christians because of that. It's the picture of Christ's relationship with the church. Marriage was not created by man, but by God. I'm going to make some statements that some of you in here may not agree with. But I want you to really not skip over this. Marriage was not created by man. It was created by God. Marriage is not an institution created by the government. God created marriage. let, Let me give you some studies on marriage. There are many studies that have been done on topics such as marriage, divorce, Barna published the results of a well-known survey regarding marriage divorce. My top takeaways from that study were evangelical Christians have essentially the same divorce rate as non-evangelicals. The same divorce rate. Does that tell you that we've compartmentalized our status? We've compartmentalized our status and it's no big deal anymore if we get divorced. It's no big deal anymore if that relational status changed. It's no big deal. We just go with the wind and go with the flow and go with the culture and go with how we feel. But as a Jesus follower, we're not mandated to go how we feel. We're mandated to obey the word of God. And when we obey the word of God, the byproduct is relational usefulness for the kingdom of God. My top takeaways not only uh, uh, show that, but the vast majority of adults, 78%, will be married at least once in their life. The number is even higher among evangelical Christians, 84%. The Barna study has been somewhat disputed. Much of the debate revolves around the definition of a Christian. Does the person have to make a profession of faith? Does he have to be baptized? Does he have to attend church? Christianity Today published an article which analyzed data regarding marriage divorce. My top takeaways from that article were 53% of very happy couples agree with the statement, God is at the center of our marriage, while only 7% of struggling couples agree with that statement. 22 years ago, next week, actually this week, I started my marriage relationship with Lori. I thought I had all the answers. I grew up in church, and Lori grew up in church, and when we were ready for marriage, because we went to Awana. Little did I know 
that we would struggle in a marriage relationship. In fact, the first couple years of our marriage were not good years. I'm going to be very transparent. And when we talk about marriage, I, I want to talk to you about even my own personal struggle when I first got married. We found out quickly that just because we were Christians, would, it would not give us a happily ever after. Unfortunately, we started out like many Christians and compartmentalized this part of our life. And when we really got the concept that our opinion matters less than God's truth, we started gaining ground. Our opinion matters less than God's truth. Say that again. Your opinion matters less than God's truth. If you live by that in every area of your life, you'll grow closer to Jesus. Tim Keller, a pastor, said this, while marriage is many things, it is anything but sentimental. Marriage is glorious but hard. It is a burning joy and strength, and yet it's also blood, sweat, and tears. No marriage I know more than a few weeks old could be described as a fairy tale come true. Coming to know and love your spouse is difficult and painful, yet rewarding and wondrous. Anybody resonate with that statement who's been married more than a day? Let me define marriage to you. The key biblical passage that defines marriage is Genesis chapter number 2 and verse 24. It says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife and they become one flesh. The authors of the New Testament and Jesus himself were very familiar with the passage and quoted it often. If you want to take notes, let me give you the passages where he quoted Jesus and other quoted Genesis 2. Matthew 19, 5, it was quoted about marriage. Mark 10, verses 7 and 8, quoted marriage. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 16, quoted the definition of marriage. And Ephesians 5, 31, quoted a definition of marriage. The first marriage, which was arranged by God himself, involved one man and one woman. And let me tell you something. The church is always known for what it's against instead of what it's for. And so when we get attacked by that, we automatically fleshly want to retreat in what the truth is. But let me give you the truth of what God's word intended marriage to be. Marriage was intended by God's word, who is the author of marriage, to be between one man and one woman. The first marriage involved one man and one woman. The clear teaching of the rest of Scripture affirms this definition of marriage. The number of times that it is used in various New Testament discussions of marriage shows its importance to the church's understanding of the definition of marriage. Here is a clear definition that we should stand by as Christians. Marriage is the uniting of one man and one woman in a covenant relationship for a lifetime. It is God's unique gift to reveal the union between Christ and his church and to provide for the man and the woman in marriage the framework for intimate companionship, the channel of sexual expression according to biblical standards, and the means of procreation of the human race. And what I just said in many churches would be offensive. 
how would you like to be me right now? But do we worry about being offensive in our culture or do we flesh out the scripture in God's word? I say we focus on the scripture of God's word. God doesn't call us to hate. And anybody in the name of God that spews hate is not of God. Not of God. Though we love every man and woman, everyone is welcome at our church. Every background is welcome at our church. We do define marriage this way. Today we come to another hard scripture for our culture and even the American church today. So won't you take your Bibles in Colossians chapter number three. And I want you to listen to me all the way through before you decide to whatever it is you decide to do. But Colossians chapter number three, two famous verses of scripture, two hard verses of scripture that we must really flesh out as Jesus followers. In Colossians 3 and verse number nine, or 18, it says, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as it is fitting in the Lord. Then he says, Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them when they burn dinner. <laughs> I, I, I say this comically because we have so misused this scripture, I'm not talking about non-Jesus followers. I'm talking about Jesus followers that we won't even apply these two scriptures anymore to a marriage relationship. When God really shows us the success of a marriage relationship in these two verses. But wait a minute, before we take these two verses out of context, your opinion, my opinion, let's look at what scripture says. And so as we look at what scripture says, these couple of verses can be misscrewed. It can, it, can, it can totally be taken out of context, but it can also shed some light on God's truth to help us glorify him in our relational status of marriage. If I could get both parties in a marriage for their end game to glorify God and not to win, then boy, we could change our marriage relationships. Let me give you background of this scripture before we get started. It is significant to note the teaching that Paul gave in the verses leading up to verses 18 and 19. All of the commands that Paul gives in, in verses 1 through 17 apply to marriage. He was telling the Jesus follower how to live with other human beings. So, so let's look at this. See, the concepts such as putting sin to death in verses 5 through 10 putting sin to death. You see, you can be in a better relationship with a human being when you put sin to death. Pursuing compassion. How many marriage relationships need compassion? Can I get a witness in this room? How about kindness? So kindness. Uh, uh, not only kindness, but how about humility? Not only humility, but he teaches on gentleness. He teaches on patience. So it's important to understand before you pull out verses 18 through 19 and try and wave it at your spouse, Know that if you're not following verses 1 through 17, you're taking the rest of the verses out of context and use for your glory and not God's glory because when a spouse is kind and spouse shows humility and a spouse shows love and a spouse shows these other things, it is the foundation of the marriage relationship. Let's keep, keep looking at this in, in verse 18 when Paul tells wives to submit. It's important 
to understand it's in a godly relationship, including marriage. So before we go on, wives submit and then the husbands to love and care for the wives. And verse 19, this should be understood in the context of a godly life that Paul describes in the early verses in chapter 3. So before we ignore these two verses, let me give it to you in its context. Paul was teaching the church that in order to have a godly, good marriage, that, that, we must first look at our own selves and abide by what a Christian is supposed to look like. People in every social status, whether single, dating, married, should be pursuing a life that looks like Colossians 3, 1 through 17. If you want to know what a Christian life looks like, read Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. That's what we're supposed to be. That's how we're supposed to act. That's what it was intended to be the foundation of a marriage relationship. This will lead to a blessing in every relationship and will help to prepare men and women for a godly marriage in the future. So let's look at a couple things with this verse as we think about it in the context of verses 18 and 19. Bible and submission. Let's tackle this. Bible and submission. Automatically, when I say the word submission, dun-dun-dun, I lose so many people. Thank you. Help me for that. I appreciate that. That's awesome. Let's look at verse number 18 again. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. That's fitting to the Lord. The word translated submit in the CSB could literally be translated as to put yourself in order under another person. It is significant that the New Testament often instructs believers to voluntarily put oneself under the authority or direction of someone or something else. So let's look at other areas of submission in God's word. All believers to God in Hebrews 12, 9 and James 4, 7. Or to his law in Romans 8, 7. The church to Christ in Ephesians 5, 24. Jews to God's righteousness in Romans 10, 3. Humans to governing authorities in Romans. We should be good citizens of fishers or wherever it is you came from. We should be good citizens. That is a byproduct of being a Jesus follower. Christians to their leaders. I don't care. Whatever party or affiliation you're with, we should be good citizens and care for our leaders. Just thought I'd throw that in again. Titus 3.1, 1 Peter 2.13, Christians to their leaders. 1 Corinthians 16, 16. Young men to older men, 1 Peter 5, 5. Children to their parents, Luke 2, 51. Wives to their husbands, Ephesians 5, 22. Colossians 3, 18. Titus 2, 5. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 5. I'm flying through this. I'm giving you the handout of my whole sermon printed out after the sermon. It is important to note that all Christians are called to submit to others in a variety of circumstances. The command for wives to submit to husbands is not a way of picking on Christian wives. It is one example of many in which Christians are to submit to others in various life situations. Here's examples of daily submission. People voluntarily submit to others every day. People trust an Uber driver to get you to the airport. That could be a mistake. When you get to the airport, you trust the pilot to get you to your destination. The equality of women and men before the Lord, of which Paul wrote in Galatians 3.28, is important to note a theologian perspective. The equality of women and men before God 
Galatians 3.28 has not been retracted at all because of this verse. The wife must forego the temptation to rule her husband's life and vice versa. Paul reminds wives that their submission to their husband is fitting to the Lord. God saves people and also orders their lives in verses 1 through 17. God is ordering a Christian's life in Colossians 3, 1 through 17 on how to behave. Paul reminds wives that God is the one who has both saved them and instructed them regarding the structure of their marriages. I found the following definition of the word headship. We're using these really Bible terms because I'm not skirting around it. I want you to understand it. Headship, the role of the husband in submission to the role of the wife, to be helpful. Headship is the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant leadership, protection, and provision in the home. Submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. Now, now let me say this. Submission as a reaction is always better than an action. You see, God intended submission to be a reaction to the servant leadership and Christianity of a man. Stay with me. There's an article that John Piper on submission wrote. Piper wrote an article that lists out six things submission is not. Here are his points. Submission is not agreeing on everything. Submission does not mean leaving your brain at the altar. Submission does not mean that you do not try to influence your husband. Submission is not putting the will of the husband before the will of Christ. Submission does not mean getting all of her spiritual strength through her husband. I, 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 there's heresy in my mind when I've heard this, woman, the completer of man. Not true. Jesus is the completer of man and woman. Man, I'm going to get in some trouble today. Submission does not mean getting all of her spiritual strength from her husband. Submission does not mean living or acting in fear. Specifically, point number four, submission is not putting the will of the husband before the will of Christ. Regarding women who feel pressured by the Bible to submit to abusive husbands. Piper writes, Christ is her Lord now. And for the Lord's sake, she will submit to the husband, but he is not her Lord. Therefore, wherever she must choose between the two, she chooses Jesus. Nowhere in the Bible does it tell a woman to stay with an abusive man. Nowhere does this church stand on that. I believe that God even created authorities to call in that situation. You you should have helped me out on that one because I'm going to give you scripture. (laughs) While the Bible does teach that a wife should submit to her husband, it certainly does not teach that a wife should be put herself or her children in a place where they would be physically abused. We need wisdom when submissive relationships collide. We need to understand what Jesus actually meant with that word instead of abusing that word. An abusive husband disobeys Jesus Christ. There is no place in the marriage relationship for any abuse. Colossians 3.19 says, Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them. Women can faithfully seek civil recourse, the Bible says, when that happens. In Romans 13, 4, for it is God's servant for your good 
But if you do wrong, be afraid because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant and avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Everybody all right in here? That's why we're pro-law enforcement at this church. We're pro-city leaders at this church. We're pro, we're, pro, we're pro all of our leaders. Why? Because they've been lifted up by God in the scripture. God himself has put law enforcement in place for the protection of the innocent. The church is called to more than one type of mercy. The church should not harbor abusive husbands or wives. Luke chapter number 6 and verse 36, it says, Be merciful just as your Father also is merciful. If we are going to take these two scriptures in its context, we must first look at what he says in Colossians 3, 1 through 17 and understand when we put ourselves in subjection to the word of God, then this will work out. No Christian should face abuse alone. There's a biblical basis for escape. The Bible calls for provision and protection. The wife should never follow her husband into sin. When you stand before God one day, you're not standing before God holding hands together. You're going to give an account before God, you individually. So the headship of the husband is not ultimate headship. Christ is the ultimate head, and she will always seek to do the right thing and not sin if her husband calls uh, falls or her to cause her for her to follow him into it. Submission does not mean putting the husband in the place of Christ. Verse 27, 21 says, you submit out of reverence for Christ. Submission does not mean that the husband's word is absolute. Only Christ's word is absolute. No wife should follow a husband into sin. You can't do that in reverence to Jesus Christ. And I stand very boldly to speak to every woman in this room when it comes to an abusive relationship, God is not asking you to hold out and be abused. Again, how would you like to be me this morning? I'm fine with being me because I think it's right. So let's look at husbands. Husbands should love and care for their wife. Colossians chapter number 3 and verse 19 says this, Husbands, love your wives and don't be bitter toward them when they're talking to you during a college football game. <laughs> That's in my Bible. I don't know about your. You got the wrong Bible. I've been telling you to go to the CSV. It's not in there. I'm just kidding. Wish it was. There's both. I want you to write this down. And hey, for the music team, just wait till I call you out. There is both a positive and negative sense to Paul's instruction in verse 19. Husbands are to love your wives, that's positive. And also are not to be bitter toward them, that's negative. Here's a theologian perspective. A guy named Wright summarized Paul's instruction for the husband to love his wife and being that the husband must ensure that his love for his wife, like Christ for his people, always put her interests first. In particular, he must ruthlessly whatever that word is, avoid the temptation to resent her being the person she is, to become bitter or angry when she turns out to be like him, a real human being. 
It is when husbands and wives understand these guidelines and live by them that they are truly free, free to mature and develop within the creative context of mutual love and respect. It's amazing to me. You you know what's really hurt the man and his leadership in the home? Pornography. Let's let them play church. I'm not condemning anyone here. I'm telling you the truth. We've got to protect ourselves as godly men. And if we aren't, we've got to repent before God, knowing that he does bring restoration and forgiveness. But if you're wondering why it may be hard to connect with your spouse, it may be because we're not putting ourselves under the subjection of what true Christianity really is. Let me give you some examples of putting others first. Times in life when people show love by putting others first. Some examples could include holding the door for an elderly or handicapped person. Giving up a seat somewhere. A parent who gives their jacket to their child on a cold day. Giving up your time for someone. Here's how some translations other than the CSB translate the end of verse 19. The ESV and NIV, do not be harsh with them. The NLT and RSV, never treat them harshly. There is a definite connection between the bitterness in a husband's heart and the harsh way that he treats his wife. Go back to my first couple years in marriage. Statistically, we probably shouldn't have made it. Two young people who got married and who were not equipped for marriage. I was bitter at everything that had to do with Christianity. I was a pastor's kid. I got to see the ugly side of church. I don't want anything to do with it. My wife, from this day, every morning, 5 a.m., has her quiet time with the Lord. I'll never forget the first two years of marriage. Every morning, I'd come out, and there she is with her Bible. Some days on her knees in prayer, praying over prayer requests. And I was feeling so much guilt, I would belittle her. To the point where I started making fun of her. She would go to church. She never would get on to me or even ask me. She would go to church. And I would watch her leave the house as I made some excuse for not being who I should have been. Until the Lord got a hold of my heart and I understood that if I'm going to be a Jesus follower then I had to make some things right. And so I'm saying this to you as an example. There's a definite connection between a husband and a bitter heart. You may have been in a relationship or are in a relationship that's caused and harbored bitterness. Maybe that husband hasn't been what he's supposed to be to you, or maybe that wife isn't what she, you feel, is supposed to be to you. In discussing the word translated bitter in the CSB, A theologian writes words from the Greek root of the word uses here occur in other ancient Greek writings to refer to rulership that is domineering and harsh. That was never the intention. Paul is probably reflecting this tradition, urging husbands not to act with a heart of bitterness toward their wives. He gives a helpful summary of both the positive and the negative parts of Paul's teaching for husbands in verse 19. He writes this. The leadership that husbands rightly exhibit in marriage is not to be carried out harshly or selfishly, but lovingly. 
To love one's wife, therefore, will often mean to put her interest ahead of his own. His own. That's true leadership. That's true leadership. Let me give you a statement from a faith and message paragraph. The husbands and wife are of equal worth before God. Since both are created in God's image, the marriage relationship models the way God relates to his people. A husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. He has the God-given responsibility to provide for, to protect, and to lead his family. And a wife, as she submits herself graciously to the servant leadership of her husband, even as the church willingly submits to the headship of Christ, she being in the image of God, as is her husband and thus equal to him, has the God-given responsibility to respect her husband and serve as his helper in managing the household and nurturing the next generation. How many of you know the information I just gave you is easier said than done? Preparing this message was hard for me because it brings guilt. There's days I do better than others. Hopefully this Thursday I'll do pretty good on my wedding anniversary. Maybe your wife in the room and nothing's good enough. Nothing. You see, if the home and the spouse, if you as Jesus' follower would, number one, say, my life is the glorify God. I can't change him or her, but my life is the glorify God. Let God take care of the rest. You may have a better chance of being useful in your home for the Lord. Many people are unhappy with their marriage. Many single people avoid marriage because they see it as a negative thing. While most people would probably say that they would like to live happily ever after, they do not know how to do so. Sin. It's an unpopular word to say in our society today. We all have sin. The Bible even says we all have come short of the glory of God. Why? Because we've sinned. Sin and its effects cause all human relationship, including marriages, to suffer. The gospel tells us that Jesus came to save us and to restore us to God. Once people are restored to God, they also have restored relationships with each other. And this should include our marriage relationship. So so let, let me end with this. We've all made it through the marriage relational status. Here's the problem. Church should be a place where it's okay not to be okay. But church has become a place where people fake it till you make it. God never intended for that to happen. God intended for us to understand that because of sin, life is messy. But he can redeem that mess. I want you to think of this as the music team comes, they start playing. I want you to think of this. What if, what if Christians weren't known for what they're against? What if in our community we have issues? And I love living in this city. I'm sorry if you live in another city that's close to us, but we are the better city. Well, I'm glad that we can serve you people of Carmel. The truth is, is Hamilton County is a great place to live. Indianapolis is a great place to call home. How many of you know it has major issues? 
relational issues. So much going on in society. What if Christianity wasn't known for what it's against, but what it's for in a redeeming Savior that can make your home whole? And instead of us being known for what we say, we're known for the actions that we do. Starting with Colossians chapter number 3, verses 1 through 17, which bleeds into the marriage relationship. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you, right at your seat, I don't know where you're at in your relationship. You may be single. You may be a student. You may be married for many years. You may just started your marriage relationship. You may have just ended a marriage relationship. But no matter what, every one of us in our relational status goal as Jesus followers should be to bring glory to God. Let me ask you. I'm not asking you about your spouse. I'm asking you about yourself. Does your life bring glory to God? And if it doesn't, and I compare you in the next few moments to speak to God, make it right, and leave the rest up to Him. Did you bow your heads right there? Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you made a decision or would like to know more about us, you can connect with us at hamiltonhillschurch.org or via social media at Hamilton Hills Church. Also, if our church has impacted you in any way and you would like to make a donation, you can do so by going to hamiltonhillschurch.org slash give. We hope you have a great week and we'll see you next time on the Hamilton Hills Church Podcast.